time to talk training, fitness, and health on the Weight Endurance Podcast. We're not doctors, dietitians, or physiologists. We're professional coaches and your hosts, Cody and Kathy Waite. We've worked with hundreds of endurance athletes over the last 15 years through our training facility, plans, and programs. Within this podcast, we're sharing our own training and racing experiences, along with the knowledge gained from working with our athletes. We'll be shedding light on the training methodologies that we've found to be the most successful in making you a fitter and faster cyclist. Welcome back. I'm Cody. And I'm Kathy. And you're listening to the Weight Endurance Podcast, and we are on episode number 66. It has been... Almost three months. A bit, yeah. We had to look up which episode number. Right, right. So hopefully we haven't lost all of you listeners. Um, and The uh, summer just flew by. Yeah. It was so crazy. Yeah, it was super, super crazy, but we, we are back, um, and we have kind of a topic that's near and dear to our heart. Recent, um, regarding Leadville 100. Yes, that was a week ago, and it was the most amazing weekend in Leadville, and you crushed it, and our writer, Jack, crushed it, so we want to talk about the experience and your your preparation leading up to it, because that was really your focus the whole summer, like, this amazing preparation, besides taking care of getting our, our, our junior team ready for nationals, but it all has been sort of a blur, yeah, it, it has been. Um, so before we dive into the Leadville 100 talk, yeah, I mean, what what have we been up to? Basically, just a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. I mean, June, June and July, we were focused on We Devo. Mm-hmm. Um, we had cross country nationals. Uh, was like early to mid July, um, which we were all kind of building up to. You and I had some disappointing races ourselves, but that's part of racing. Absolutely. Um, we had one huge success with Ben Ben Brovman in the thirteen fourteen junior men taking the the victory in the national championship. Yeah, there. he really dominated. It was exciting to watch. Yeah, that was really exciting. He won both the cross country and the short track yeah, in it was awesome. the junior men thirteen fourteen. So he he's a force to to reckon reckon with in the coming seasons. Um, and then actually before that, we had high school graduation our daughter noelle graduated sophia had already graduated early but we saw like she was part of the graduation party and yeah, we decided 20s. to honor her too <laughs> right um so we had like graduation season and then on top of that um we decided to sell our house <laughs> that was it's all like, such a huge blur yeah let's that not was, like, bore right everyone with the details but let me tell you trying to train and race and manage a team um, prepare for some major races, sell your house, move, and prepare for an international trip, which we're taking in a few hours, was um, crazy-making. I, I, I had some circles under my eyes. Yeah, it's been um, tiring, to say the least. But fun. But, but, yeah, we got it all done, and, you know, what's really cool, or I guess what I'm sort of proud of, is that, you know, you and I were able to stay focused on the training, mm-hmm. you know, Leadville middle of August, um, kind of in the heat of all of that. And, um, it all kind of came together. So that's what we mainly want to talk about in this episode, just to share lessons learned. I've been getting a lot of questions from people on like social media and just athletes I coach and people, um, acquaintances that also do Leadville or similar type events with a lot of questions. So well, it's the kind of event that has huge clout. Like, everybody knows about it. Yeah. Um, they did that movie a few years back. What was it called? Race Across the Sky? Mm-hmm. 
and that really elevated the race even more in the kind of the national awareness. Um, so it's fun. It's fun to be a part of. It's fun to go watch. I think you're a little hesitant to sort of brag on this episode, but you should brag. You prepared all summer, actually really all year for this race, and people want to hear about it. Yeah, yeah. You did amazing. So brag away, my friend. Yeah, and um, hopefully it won't come off so much as bragging, um, but like informative maybe. Yeah, well, <laughs> if anyone knows you, you're not a braggadocious person. Right. You like to prepare and you like to do well, and then when you do well at something you want to tell everyone yeah, so that share. you can hopefully help them do right. as best as they can do. Right. Cause I've always thought myself in my, gosh, I don't even know, 20 year long coaching career now of like, I am sort of like my number one laboratory experiment. Like I like mm-hmm. to, you know, if there's a new training theory, philosophy, whatever, yeah. I like to try it out myself and see how it goes. I think a lot of coaches are like that, mm-hmm. um, or should be at least. And, um, so yeah, when when I do try slightly different things and they go well, or even when they don't go well, I like to share about it. So we'll do that. Um, and then the last little bit of like news, because it has been a while, uh, we are getting near the end of summer and we're setting up our programs for next year, for 2022. We've got a lot going on. Um, our WeDevo, um, what we're calling our race and select program. So for junior and U23 cross-country racers, um, we're updating that and um, applicate the the application window is open right now so if you're listening and you're a junior u23 rider racer or you know someone or you know someone or have a child or whatever um that would fall into that category that's really interested in what we consider the best training um and coaching support out there to help young riders develop um, definitely check us out so go to our website weightendurance.com um, right along the top menu bar under, um, it has, you can find the WeDevo program and, um, look at the two different, uh, prog- uh programs that we're offering mm-hmm. and figure out which one works best for you. So what we're doing this year, just to do a quick little synopsis of it is we're having two levels of the training and coaching interaction. That's all sort of under the same team umbrella where, where last year and the year prior, it was like, well, actually it was last year. We did, or this year, I'm calling it last year already. <laughs> um, we had the We Devo program, which was kind of designed for the young, younger or just less experienced rider getting started. And then our We Race team was for the ones targeting like the UCI level events. Next year, 2022, the, the greater team is the same. So we're having our We Race team and then our We Race Select. And the primary difference is the, the coaching and training support that you get. So we're still all targeting high-level races as well as local races. And this is for riders, racers around the, the country. So wherever you are, we you know we can help set up the program for you. Um, but you, you basically, as the rider, can choose or apply for the level of coaching and interaction you get. So if it's more of a group kind of setting where we're doing the group Zoom calls, that's one level. And then more of the private coaching, one-on-one coaching is like the race select. Hopefully, Well, there's still part of the, the race select is still a group and it's still a team, but you just mean that we are going to be individualizing their training program more carefully right. and like having more like personal interaction with right. them. Like 
phone calls and texts. And Dialing whatnot. things in, yeah. like just to that absolute end point, you know, to yeah. make for maximum performance. Because our so. passion is coaching. Like we're not just this team where people go out and wear our kits. Right. And there are teams like that. Like we are so like focused and passionate about teaching kids and adults how to train effectively, safely, and optimally. Right. Right. So if you know or are a junior or U23 racer, check that out on our website. Um, we're also working up, we don't have the details quite ironed out, but we're close on our 18th annual base builder program. Um, we're going to do this slightly, we're going to make it a little shorter. We're going to start it in January and go through March, kind of actually going back to its roots because way, way back when, when it was our train, the trainer program, even before we had met, it was a three month, 12 week long program. Um, so we're kind of going back to that route. Um, and uh, making it a little more condensed, but hopefully more action-packed and information-packed. Um, and it'll be a virtual, online, remote sort of deal. So wherever you're listening from, you can join in the program, um, and we'll go from there. So right. we don't have information up on our website on that yet, but I just wanted to throw it out there to our listeners, because that is coming. Um, and then we'll probably even have sort of a fall, on like, plan do it on your own plan and we'll talk about it in upcoming podcasts that you can add if you want to get started in october november december to get sort of a jump start on the base builder Mm -hmm. you'll have the opportunities to do that as well so stay tuned for more of that and then the other thing we're going to add that's new for next year because i love leadville so much you love leadville so much Mm -hmm. the lifetime series races it's it's what i found is what gets me really excited to train and race anymore is the bigger, these big lifetime Leadville series events. Mm-hmm. For, for whatever reason, they just have a draw. Not I'm, There's hundreds of people out there that share a similar, um, uh, you know, affection yeah. for yeah. it. And um, so we're going to put together a program not too dissimilar from our WeDevo program designed for juniors, but for more adult racers targeting their events, which in this case would be the Leadville um, race with the lifetime qualifying races and whatnot building up to it and you utilizing the zoom calls and the training program and the group support team support like we do with our junior program but offer it up now for adults so right. I'm really excited about that um, we've coached many athletes for Leadville and similar events over the years done a lot of custom training plans and it just sort of occurred to me this year, like with people sending me so many questions over like, the last few weeks. Wait about a race. second, we can do this together. Yeah, and it would be so yeah. <laughs> fun. I mean, how cool would that be? Like, oh, who's doing the, you know, the Austin Rattler? Right. Who's going to do that qualifier? And right. they go, and they, we can train for it, show up for it, race for it. We're all working towards the end goal of having our best Leadville 100 mm-hmm. time, and um, I think that would be really fun. So. We're, again, we're still working on that. I, I'm really hoping we can get tied in like officially with the Lifetime Leadville um, race series. I do have some discussions in process about that, but I, I don't know if that'll pan out or not. We'll wait and see over the coming couple of weeks here. Um, but even if it doesn't, we'll do our do our right. own um, program for it. So if you are interested in Leadville or the Leadville qualifying races... Um, or even just any long distance marathon. I mean, it does carry over to gravel racing, things like that. Um, but a really cool group program for the adults that right. kind of will go the, the whole season. So I'm excited about that. So those are our big programs starting up for next year. And, and I'm sure we'll more talk more about that. Come. Yeah. So let's go on to talking about your Leadville prep and the race itself. 
you posted on Instagram about how it all went down and you you stated something like it was flawless preparation <laughs> and I thought whoa he really uh, he, it was so we want to dig into it like why do you think it was flawless um, and like kind of the nitty gritty mm-hmm. so what what I don't know, where do you want to start like what do you think you did differently this year that created such a breakthrough race for you and maybe we should start by saying Cody finished in six hours, 46 minutes, and... I think it was 26 seconds. 26 seconds. It was huge. Right. It was like 15 minutes faster than my previous PR. Yeah. And I think it was 13th place overall. Mm Mm-hmm. It was. Um, And I raced a great race, and we'll talk specifically about that after the preparation combo, but... um, Your goal was to definitely break seven hours. Uh, When you had first tackled this race back in, was it 2015? I thought so. You, you finished in something like seven oh one twenty, and it was a heartbreaker. Like it was an amazing race, but there's something about finishing over seven hours, like so close, that <laughs> just like crushes your soul a little bit. And personally, I felt responsible because of the snafu at the Columbine feed zone where I missed you in the the bottle. Blah blah blah. blah. It was heartbreaking. <laughs> so you have had a burning desire to break seven hours for the past six years. Right. And it happened. So let's just kind of dig into it. Like, how did you build your training around this goal of breaking seven hours? Okay. So um, the training progression. So I started the season with our base builder program, like we always do. I feel like that really established a really great base, which um, makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) And then going into the early season of racing, let's say starting in March, um, we did. We were working with the We Devo program, and we were traveling to a lot of the cross country races around the country. Um, you know, helping support that program. And you and I both did some cross country races in there, and um, you which know, were about ninety minutes long. Yeah, so a cross country mountain bike race is about ninety minutes, give or take. And you know, they they were fine. Um, actually, I really enjoyed the Pan American Championship in Puerto Rico. That was probably the highlight of spring, I guess, in terms of like an exciting race that I really enjoyed. Yeah, you had a lot of competition from the guys who came up from like Mexico, Central America, yeah, and South yeah. America. And um, and that was really fun. But then I was finding myself like kind of losing personal racing interest. I was like really invested in our junior program and absolutely loved like being all in on that from a coaching standpoint and support standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so I really was struggling that whole rest of the spring for my own racing which I was okay with, but it was like a new feeling, really, um, of saying like, okay, we're going to go to Arkansas to do these races, but it's like we're going there for the the team and not me, and it was different. And I thought like, well, maybe I could still jump into these races, and, you know, I did one one weekend, and then I decided not even to do the one on the second weekend because it just wasn't doing anything for me. And, I and wanted, it was so tiring. Yeah, it was tiring, and I wanted to be all in and 100% for our team, for right. the juniors, and um, and I'm glad I did that. And then when we came back from the spring racing, and I guess as a side note too, I was disappointed my early season A race, which was going to be the Epic Rides Whiskey 50 in Prescott, got canceled because of COVID. The, the promoter was still a little tentative because that was in April um, to you know pull the trigger on that. And so that got canceled. So it kind of like washed my calendar of like A races. And Mm -hmm. so long story short, I was basically kind of floundering from a racing standpoint. Um, But that's okay. Um, You know, we finished So how did you regroup after that? After you felt yourself floundering? So 
our last major race for the junior team was early May mm-hmm. in Soldier Hollow in Utah. Um, I decided to just skip that race altogether. You did it. You actually loved it. Oh my god, I love that race. Yeah, super fun race. Um, and, but my head just wasn't in it, right. so I was just there for coaching, um, which was great. I re- it was a great trip. And then I knew coming back from that, um, I needed to first recover a little bit because we had just done weeks of travel and stuff for for the We Devo program. And then it was like, okay, now it's going to be middle of May when I start this like Leadville build, and. I just wanted to really kind of go all in on it. Mm-hmm. And um, so th- I think I discussed this in the last episode, um, episode 65. But basically, you know, I didn't do anything, quote unquote, different in the training. I followed my same race preparation, like progression of starting with some high intensity, very short, like sprint work. And then every two weeks progressing to longer duration kind of through the energy system. So from peak power sprinting to anaerobic power to VO2 max to anaerobic threshold. I did two, four weeks of the anaerobic threshold or lactate threshold FTP mm-hmm. type training. Um, and I think that really boosted my fitness to a pretty high level. Um, and the idea that there was because the cross-country national championships was a little earlier than historic historically is, mm-hmm. early July. That then after that little block of uh, eight weeks of training, I'd be in pretty good shape to race a cross-country race, which I was, but the race sadly didn't go well due to a minor crash that turned into a major mechanical. And <laughs> that's a long story, but... Yeah, um, save that one for another yeah. day. So, but I had gotten in pretty good fast shape. Oh yeah, you were as fit as hell. Right, in July. And then, it, early July. And then it was like... After nationals, which again was a tiring week because we had like so many races with the junior program, our our own races, all that, got recovered from that. And then from there, it was five weeks to Leadville. And then this is where things, where I kind of adjusted things a little bit more differently. Um, And I think it really paid off as I I took the next three weeks Mm -hmm. and focused on my favorite energy system, the aerobic threshold. We've talked about that endlessly in the podcast. So the AET training, that um, kind of tempo-y, sweet spotty type um, energy system, targeting heart rate, you know, doing the most power we can while staying in a fat-burning heart rate and all that sort of thing. And isn't that threshold about 80% of your max heart rate? 80% of max heart rate, yep. And I was fortunate enough to be able to stay up at high altitude, around 9,000 feet in Winter Park for those three weeks. So we were there going into nationals, pardon me, nationals for a couple weeks, Mm -hmm. and then stayed and well, I came home for almost a week and then went back and then had three weeks um, of really concentrated training. And um, our We Devo rider, Jack, spent most of that time uh, with me up there as well. So he got a lot of altitude. You had a good training buddy to go ride those fire road um, intervals with you. Right. So we did um, just a really good block of this aerobic threshold training at altitude, and I think that really paid off. And then that left us with two weeks to go till race, till Leadville race day, and um, and then really took that taper like extra seriously because I've I've really figured out, I feel like, what works really well for me. Mm-hmm. And it's a taper that I prescribed to just about all of our junior athletes as well for, well, Jack for Leadville 100 did something not exactly, but pretty similar. 
and our junior athletes did something very similar for shorter distance races. Okay. And I just feel like this taper um, progression works really yeah. well. Can you describe it? Um, well, I mean, in general, a taper... So you want to get to your highest level of fitness or CTL if you're a training peak user, so that biggest number, about three weeks before your A race. Okay. And then from there, it's... You actually have to accept that you're going to lose fitness or CTL over those two weeks of tapering into the, your main race. And you have to accept that because you're trading some of those CTL points, some of that fitness, for large amounts of freshness. And it's the freshness that really allows you to perform really, really well. And what was what was interesting as a side note, not to get off track here, but... So looking at Jack's plan, so Jack is 18 years old, um, loves to ride his bike, just to give our listeners some background, has really good endurance, like he, he loves to go for like six hour long rides, like, you know, he's, he's loving it, but he started having, he actually grew, so he's tall, he, what oh, is he, gosh. like 6'3 or something? Well, now he's 6'3 and a quarter. Okay. But he thought he was 6'2". He thought he was 6'2", and he, so he's 18, he still had like this funny little growth spurt, right? And so he essentially, quote-unquote, outgrew his current bike position and his shoes, funny enough. He had to get bigger (laughs) shoes. But what happened is it created some knee pain. So he started getting this knee pain, and he's like, you know, Cody, Kathy, what do I do here? I got, like, this knee pain. And um, it's like, you know, I didn't really think about him growing still. I didn't He's already tall. (laughs) And we see him almost every day, so I hadn't noticed. And so it's like, oh, gosh, are you doing too much riding? And we were looking at that. I was like, I don't think so. Like, relative to what we did over the winter and relative to this and that, it's like, it seemed, that doesn't seem like it's... good to examine that. Yeah. Always look at the Because that's the first go-to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, are you doing too much? Um, And then we ultimately figured out that he, in fact, grew and then went to see a bike fitter and they raised his seat a, I don't even know exactly, a centimeter or whatever. He had to get bigger shoes. It was actually a significant thing. Yes. And we did send him over to our favorite physical therapist at Cascade in Lakewood because now he's irritated his knee and, like, the tissues around it. So Laura really worked it out well and, and he saw her twice, I think, and just sort of set him back on the right track. Right. And gave him some, like, glute activation exercises because, like every other kid, he's not doing it. Right. So all of that is the backstory. Jack was unable to ride as much as he otherwise would have. Mm-hmm. About that third, you know, three weeks out from the races, usually where I like to prescribe kind of the biggest training week where you're going to really boost one's fitness, CTL, to the highest point before you start tapering. And unfortunately, he didn't get to really do that because we were dealing with the knee issue. But... What's interesting is like even though he didn't get the huge CTL number, we still went through almost exactly the same um, tapering progression with the exception of the weekend before. Um, he ended up doing a little bit longer ride than I would normally prescribe. It still wasn't super long. It was like four, four and a half hours um, on the course because we figured he sort of quote-unquote missed a week of training in that third okay. week. It was like safe to say, like, let's get a little longer ride, where I think my weekend ride on that weekend was more like two hours. His was a double, or slightly more than double. So he did a little bit more. But what's really interesting, though, is even though he missed that third week of really pushing it, this taper progression, even though he was probably re- plenty recovered because he had missed that week, the taper progression did a really nice job of keeping him sharp 
and fresh for the race. And we just added a little more volume for him because he had missed some volume and it, it worked out really well, I think. Um, so all that said, it's like the, the, the main goal of the taper is reduce the volume somewhat significantly. And I'm mm-hmm. finding with my own experimentation that a significant drop in volume tends to yield significant freshness. But it's hard mentally because if, especially sure. if people are training a lot, they feel like, oh my God, I'm like getting out of shape or I'm getting fat or whatever, silly stuff, you know, and being patient with it and sort of enjoying the process. And for me personally this year, I like really soaked in the full taper. Like I really enjoyed it because I knew for me, I had those two weeks prior to the taper two weeks, I had put it all out there and you had yeah. had some amazing training, amazing numbers. I was tired. I was like mm-hmm. ready for it and then fully embraced that taper. And it's just like my body absorbed it all. And I was, you know, not only fit, but also fast and fresh come race day. And Jack didn't quite get to do that, but he trusts you as his coach and you just kept talking him through it. Like, nope, just take a few days off. Go to the PT, get the bike fitting. It's going to be okay. Right, because he'd done tons of work with me the eight plus weeks prior. So we knew the fitness was all there and maybe it wasn't going to be picture perfect on like the graph of like the final big peak of (laughs) CTL and then you come down like where my graph is like as good as it could be. Like um, his wasn't, but it's like you do all that work the weeks and weeks and weeks before. It's all still in you. It's there. He was probably a little fresher, but it's just better. Yeah, that's almost, I think, what gave him the best time that he got. Oh I mean, he gosh. went 759. No, and, 659. Or sorry, 659. Yeah, 659 people. 659 18 years and old. 34 seconds. Right, and to be perfectly honest, you know, I thought, like, if he had an amazing day, he'd be around the seven and a half hour mark. Oh, me too. I thought if he breaks eight hours, it'd be right, amazing. Right, and then, yeah, to be up just under eight is kind of like what I was expecting, and then seven and a half would have been amazing. But then to go a half an hour faster than that clearly shows that being fresher is quite possibly more important yeah. than maximizing the amount of training For sure. you do. So. You said when you turned around at the top of Columbine and came down and you saw that he was like two or three minutes behind you, you like lost your mind. Yeah, it was great. I yelled at him like, yeah, way to go, Jack. And I mean, it was like, I couldn't believe it. I was yeah. like, and then I started doing the math in my head. like, oh my gosh, yeah, he's only like four minutes behind me that's yeah, whatever insane. it was yeah, yeah it ended up being more like 15 at the end but right. it was so freaking awesome yeah it blew it really blew my mind so I was so happy and excited for him well you've said for how long like it's better to be 10% under trained than 1% over trained right and it was very obvious for Jack in this particular race yeah and that's what happened so that was a real I so I, cool you know the day before Leadville I was out riding with some friends and I, I saw so many people between like one and five o'clock going out on course to like pre-ride or something or I'm like what are you guys the day before yeah yeah. yeah, I'm like it's five o'clock I was coming back from having driven around to make sure I had my my times right for supporting you and people were like just going up Kevin's I'm like no turn around so like stay fresh stay fresh well the type a people out there and I put us in that group too so it's like you have to learn how to deal with it but it's like we don't know how to rest sometimes right and You know, you're excited, and maybe they just, yeah. But less <laughs> is almost always more in the yeah, last really days. Really good preparation for months, and then less is usually more right. for like the week or two before. Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, we skipped around a little bit. I don't want to miss anything you really wanted to say. Um, so, yeah, I was getting a lot of questions on 
Instagram. Okay. Kind of in the days after the race. Um, and, and some phone calls with some friends of my co- coaching athletes. And a lot of this same question came up. Like, what did you do Oh, what did you do differently? differently? Okay. Yeah. This year um, to have such a quote-unquote like breakthrough. Like the miracle, the, the key. Yeah. So, I, I mean, what I think I've come to recognize as the common response is that I really didn't do a whole lot differently in terms of like the training progression. I followed our same race prep, you know, ultra marathon. I mean, this is like the plan you can buy on Training Peaks that I wrote like, mm-hmm. you know, six years ago or whatever. It's it's not much different what I do now um, in terms of like going from high intensity to low intensity as you do that, ramping up the volume um, and then kind of peaking the volume out, like I just said, about two weeks before, and then and then do your taper. Um, so tr- from a training standpoint, it's not a whole lot different. I mean, the main differences, I think, there were three things that I've sort of came to conclude. Um, one, I think, was that high-altitude aerobic threshold training block, and that's something that I know not everyone, probably very few people, can actually implement because you have to be able to Go. Work, yeah, like kind of work from home. And right. if you saw me, I'm doing air quotes. Home was your RV. Right. Our RV. And to be able to go to altitude, or if you live on the eastern half of the country, you don't have that really accessible. But I honestly don't necessarily think it's the altitude training as much as the concentrated aerobic threshold training okay. that I was doing. I, the altitude certainly helped. Um, but I, I'm not so sure that it's so critical that you have to do it at altitude. I think that's just the icing on the cake. That's the icing on the cake, yeah. Um, but that little bit of extra aerobic threshold training was big um, and I think benefited a lot. Um, another thing that was really useful that we've all in- implemented the, this last year was using the WHOOP data. Uh-huh. Um, so the anyone not familiar with WHOOP, it's a wearable on your wrist. Uh, it has like an infrared Um, sensor for your heart rate um, can measure HRV all your sleeping and it's like an activity tracker but a lot more stuff Um, but what's really cool is it tells you through HRV and heart rate and breathing rate kind of where your body um, is from a recovery standpoint Mm -hmm. and how much sort of what they call strain or how much training load you can apply on a given day that your body can likely then absorb and recover from um, and utilizing that data, I think, I think over the course of the year, we started using this in, in, in January, January mm-hmm. um, played a big part in it. Um, cause I did start to utilize for the first three, four months, I wasn't totally sure. And I didn't, I collected the data and looked at the data and was like, Oh, interesting. Didn't really use the data to alter training. But then starting in May, I really did start paying attention to that. And we did that with some of our junior athletes that were using the whoop as well. And, you know, if we woke up and we were in the red, it was like, okay, we're going to alter the, today's training to this degree. If we woke up and we were in the yellow, didn't really have to alter much. If we were in the green, then we actually did a little bit more, like more intervals or more volume or whatever the case was. Um, and I think that made a big difference as well of just sort of like squeezing every last drop out of the training system. Yes, but I would say that the real point of what you're saying is not that you were wearing a, ro- a whoop, I almost said a roop, a whoop is that you prioritized your sleep and um, things like that, your recovery, your diet, your nutrition. That's I mean, a good sleep point. number, really it's sleep. It's because like, we, we've talked about this so many times, so I'm beating a dead horse, but 
so many of our amazing adult athletes and our junior athletes, they they will go train 10 hours a week. They'll go on those long, hard bike rides. They'll do interval workouts. And then they'll stay up too late or wake up too early or not have good sleep setting and not get good sleep. And then they don't absorb the the, the workouts and they don't they don't actually get stronger and faster in the end. Right. And right. you make sleep a huge priority, like insanely so, <laughs> but it pays off. Like you do all the work and then your body can absorb it and you can recover and keep going. Right, right. Yeah, that's a great point. And the, the because the whoop's tracking the sleep, mm-hmm. what gets tracked you pay more attention to. And it becomes a fun game. <laughs> yeah, and you try to improve it or maximize right. it. And that's just my my the way I behave. So um, so yeah, yeah, I think that played a big part. Um, the other thing that was huge, uh, and this honestly just sort of happened, um, was I got down to 142 pounds. Um, my normal, well, my weight all winter and spring was like 148 pounds. Yep. You had just a little bit chub chub on your, (laughs) a little bit on your waist. And, and that's kind of 148 is kind of my normal quote off season, you know, winter training. Uh, last year and years prior, I'd get down to like 144 as like a quote race weight. Um, so I got a couple pounds lighter, but I honestly wasn't trying to. It was just sort of like this surprising thing. But funny enough, like all spring, I was trying to get down to 144, 145, and I couldn't. Um, why? I'm not 100% sure. Um, I mean, clearly, I, th- I think it's diet related, um, just what I was eating. Um, but then those final weeks before nationals, which, so this was like the end of June, um, it all just kind of dropped off. And I think a big part of that was, and we talked, this happened to me last summer with COVID when I did like the COVID camp and spent three weeks in winter park as well as I, when you can get away into a controlled environment and eliminate really all the excess stuff from your diet, from your kitchen cabinets, Mm -hmm. It just kind of happens. So, you know, if you're living in an RV, like I was for this training camp um, before Leadville, it's like I went to the store. I had, like, bought enough food for every single meal. There was no junk whatsoever. Like, eliminated sugar, eliminated oils, um, aside from, like, olive oil, and, you know, maximized fruits and vegetables, healthy fats, um, small amounts of protein, you know, all that sort of thing. And it worked, you know, but I eliminated all the snack foods. So the, the key takeaways uh, from a diet perspective I'm finding is don't snack. That's a funny thing we heard on the, our favorite doctor's pharmacy podcast of like, he's like a diet guru guy. And he's like, people ask me all the time, what do you do for snacks? And he's like, well, I don't snack. And that's, that's huge. Um, cause at home in our cabinet, we'll have like nuts and it's like, oh, well nuts are good for you. So I'll like have a handful of nuts. Well, Two or three handful of nuts over the course of the day is 500 <laughs> extra calories. No wonder I was, couldn't lose any weight. I was healthy, but I wasn't losing any weight, right? So um, so eliminating all snacks, um, eliminating all sugars, uh, and and really maximizing the, the vegetables and, and um, fiber in the diet, I think, was the big key there. And then I think there's something, I have no scientific evidence or proof of this, but I think being at high altitude, my body responds really well. Mm-hmm. It maybe it ramps up the metabolism or something because it was sort of like within a few days of being at high altitude, like the weight just started like dropping off. Yeah, it seems to suit you. You sleep well. Actually, I, I sleep, sleep really, really well. Yeah. And yeah, your your body likes to, to be up in the mountains. Likes to be at altitude, yeah. I have found that. So 
you know, that's probably different for everybody. And then the last big thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to hear a little bit more about your fueling practice. You, you were trying some new um, higher caloric gels from SIS, mm-hmm. and you were practicing using those on your long rides, yeah. right? Yep. Um, yeah, so Science and Sport, SIS, most of you are probably familiar. They make amazing gels that are just, they taste good. They go down easy. Um, but they've always been a little low on the calories. They've been yeah, like 80. 87. Yeah, 80 to 90 calories. They came out with a new one just in time. I don't think it was for lead bill, for but you. the timing was <laughs> was perfect. Um, that they call beta beta fuel, I think. So beta fuel is their liquid, which I love. I've used that for years. Um, so it's like 300 calories in your water bottle, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Works great. They came up with the beta fuel mixture of the gels, um, the isotonic gels. And so now they're packing like 160-ish calories. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like I waste a little, like squirts out or whatever. So I always think of in my head like 150 calories. It makes math easier too. <laughs> <laughs> it probably makes sense. I mean, you'd have to like get one of those toothpaste squeezers again. Yeah, I feel like it's, it. some always squirts out when you're opening it or whatever. Um, so yeah, these gels worked great. But so I've, we found those and I started using those. And really the final well, of this three-week training block... And so really the last five weeks going into the race, I basically did every single ride with the beta fuel drink mix and the beta fuel gels. Mm -hmm. So like my final three or four long rides and one was like a Fondo where it kind of was like a race simulation, which was sort of fun. Um, I really made sure like that's all I consumed. And it was a little tricky in the Fondo because they had eight stations with like fun foods you wanted to eat, um, candy (laughs) and crap. But I resisted and just stuck to the plan. Like, this is what I'm going to do on um, Leadville Day. Let's do it. Yeah, so, i got to practice it. Yeah, so what I came down for, for me personally, and I think this is going to work really well for most people, is two of these gel or a gel every half an hour. So two gels an hour. So that's about 150 calories every half an hour. So I really got, like, clockwork. Like, every 30 minutes, suck down one of these 150-calorie gels. And then supplement with the Beta Fuel water bottle, um, which is another three, a little over 300 calories, and try to consume one of those every two hours or so within the ride. Right. And it adds up basically to what I found worked really well for me was about 400 calories per hour, mm-hmm. which is a lot. And it's all carbohydrates. What's really nice about Beta Fuel, and there's other brands out there that um, do this as well, is it's like a 50-50 ratio of uh, glucose and fructose. So it really is designed to carry well in the stomach and empty well so you don't have stomach issues. And for me, it worked great. Um, So there's truth behind the the science there. Um, So really finding that mixture worked amazing. Um, And then I also, on my long rides, I would have a Red Bull usually like about four hours into a six-hour ride, um, like stop at a gas station or whatever. And so we just mimicked that in the race. So about four and a half hour, four about four hours coming down Columbine at the Lost Canyon feed zone. Ethan handed me a Red Bull. Um, and boom. Yeah. And I sucked yeah. that. I actually carried it until I got to the pavement and then sucked it down right. there. Um, and, you know, that works really well with my stomach. And I think the the caffeine and the other things in Red Bull. like And maybe just like a little different fake flavor profile. Little, after. Yeah. And a little fizziness. <laughs> and, yeah. It's like. If you're used to having one four hours into your six-hour training rides, why not have one four yeah. hours or so into your race? I and bet it tasted really, really good. Yeah, it actually did. It goes down really well and and worked really well. So long story short. Um, yeah, and you just got to practice it. Figuring it out and practicing it. And historically, I haven't 
been that great at that. Like I okay. knew what foods to eat and I'd do a little bit in training, but like when I'd go do a long ride and I stopped at a gas station, I'd just go for the gas station fare, whatever it was, gummy bears and Cokes and things. But those weren't things that were like easy to take in during a race. Right. Where these gels are super easy to get down. The beta fuel in your water bottle is easy to manage, mm-hmm. alternate it with like plain water. Um, and it just was like I was out for another ride and I yeah. knew perfectly. And then the last little bit I'll touch on the fueling side is having a power meter on my mountain bike, having the calories expended because that's all based on how much work you're doing, how much power you're putting out. I would scroll through that periodically while in the race and look at it and make sure I was one, I wanted to be around 400 calories per hour. And if I do that, it puts me replacing about... Uh, wait, wait, wait. You mean 800 calories four, per hour? 400 per hour. You were you were expending 400 calories no, per hour? No, I was consuming okay. 400 per hour. That's what I figured out I could consume. And then I'm expending... I should have done the math before. saying It was more than half. So when I was 3,000 calories into the race, expended, I had maybe consumed... 3,200 calories. I was always like ahead of the consuming 50%, over 50% of what I've expended. You following me? Well, I am. You just said 3,200 you consumed and you oh, expended. Oh, right. Then it was over 1,600. Okay. Sorry, I should so have So you had expended 3,000 calories and you consumed over 1,600 Yeah, when calories. I was 3,000 in, I had probably consumed 1,700 calories. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah like that makes over sense. Over more than half, more than 50% of what I've expended, I've already like consumed. That's great. And making sure I was like always ahead of that curve. Um, yeah, and through practice, figuring out what I could tolerate without a stomach ache. And and to be honest, I mean, really with like that final hour, like getting into the arrow position (laughs) started getting a little uncomfortable. Oh, that's right. You said your belly was a little... Yeah, my stomach was full and I was never hungry, but it was a little full, kind of bloated feeling, maybe just a little, not uncomfortable, but like crouching in the arrow position wasn't so comfortable (laughs) six hours into the race. But but that's what you got to do to stay on top, keep your power up, um, is you have to keep those calories up. You said you felt great and strong the entire time. And I'd have to think that on top of being fit, that was mostly because you fueled well. I would think so too, yeah. I, I would dedic- I would say the majority of the great race day was the fueling. Okay. As opposed, I mean, the training certainly helped. But I think it was really nailing that nutrition and the, the fueling part of it. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and, yeah. Well, what else do you want to say about the race itself? Like... You you had a great race. You completed it in your goal time. Well, you surpassed your goal time, really six forty six. But yeah. you know, how did it go down for you? Was it was it did it turn out how you thought it was going to? Were you in the groups you wanted to? Did the strategy work out? Yeah, pretty close. Um, I mean, we the race starts. Um, I had a great start. Like the first ten minutes is often very hectic, but I was like sitting, basically like second row like mm-hmm. behind like Keegan Swenson and Russell Finsterwald and and like the top top guys I was yeah. like like literally right behind them on their wheel and in years past I remember having to kind of fight for some positions a little stressful but there was like no stress it was great it was like I was just smiling and enjoying it the whole way up <laughs> going up St. Kevin's um the pace I felt was not as high as it maybe was but maybe that's because I was in a little better shape I don't know made the front group up St. Kevin's um down the Tur- Turquoise Lake Road. It was actually a little larger group um, going up the Turquoise Lake outbound climb. 
remember looking around thinking there's about 20 people and I think it's usually more like 10 or 12 because okay. I've made that group, that selection before in the past. Um, so I think the, it was maybe a little slower for that first climb. Then they went a little harder on the Sugarloaf, um, Hagerman Sugarloaf climb, which is the second big climb. And that's where I started to really play it smart and made sure I wasn't exceeding... For me, it was like a heart rate of about 165 beats per minute. I knew I didn't want to go over that until at least the halfway point of the race, so I kind of withheld. I That did end up having like the lead group right away, and I just had to like be okay with that. Okay. Um, I was just really trying to pace. I really didn't care what place I finished. I just wanted to get that sub-seven time, and I wanted to feel really good on the way back um and so i think that really paid off um so when you came down power line and you started on the the road out to pipeline you did you get in with a couple guys so um, you could be together on the road i thought there was like yeah two. i was with like a group of three yeah it was there was jake wells and a couple other guys yeah um ryan petrie i think which was huge because you really don't want to be on that road by yourself right right yeah a couple guys have got away from me on power line but then um a couple guys i forget if i caught up to some no they came up from behind i kind of rode a little easier they caught back actually i do remember yeah. you popped off the dirt road onto the hatchery road and you turned back to see who was coming and you just slowly pedaled as you grabbed your water bottles and you waited for yeah. a couple guys and then you had a group of very smart right right so we rode really well out there's like four or five of us we rode mm-hmm. really well out to columbine um and then i did columbine same thing like i wanted to stay i really wanted to ride the lower half under 160 beats per minute um which it for me is like 85 percent of max heart rate or or under um, I really kind of holding back, being comfortable with it, mm-hmm. and then because I, I know that the last twenty minutes or so, you kind of have to go really hard because it's just steep and steep, high altitude yeah. and everything. Um, so I went a little easier in the beginning, a little harder at the end, got up to like one seventy heart rate or something, mm-hmm. so like ninety percent or so um, at that point, keeping on track with the the calories in. Um, felt really good like I never felt hard like I never was like pushing super hard it was like comf- it was hard but not like beyond what it right. should it's like hard. that comfortably hard yeah. feeling and just felt great at the top and came down um I was with, well I caught Alex Howes at the top of Columbine okay which was interesting and then he actually rode away from me on the descent which is pretty funny <laughs> um sad for me I guess but uh, the road rider <laughs> dropped me on the downhill um, but not by much. And then uh, and then we hit the bottom of the climb, started our way back. I was able to catch back up to Alex Howes and another guy, um, blanking on his name right now. But then the group, the three of us rode basically from Twin Lakes Dam to the base of Powerline together. Yep, that was perfect. <clears throat> yeah, it worked out really we well. We were waiting for you at the bottom of Powerline, and I was so excited you were with a couple guys. Because, again, that's super lonely yeah. on the road without some help. And both of them were very good guys, which helped a lot. Uh-huh. Um, and we shared pulls. Um, Alex House probably did a little more pulling than the, myself and the other guy, <laughs> but it was close to equal. Um and then I ended up feeling just amazing then. And that was my goal was to be able to like race up power line. Right. And so by then it was like, okay, now I don't have to hold back because I'm feeling good. I'm fueled. I've paced well. And I rode pretty much like a good steady pace. Like my heart rate just build, built through the whole climb and um, got yeah. to see some pretty high numbers. Well, high you power. also like passed people because I think when I saw you. Um, well, I dropped 
the two, yeah. I dropped Alex House. That's my big highlight of the whole day mm-hmm. at the base of Powerline. Um, and then I dropped the other guy that we were with who was riding really strong. Um, and then I bridged up to Ryan Petrie, who's been a top 10 Leadville guy for a number of years. Um, yeah, past him. Past him. And then went down the backside of the Sugarloaf, up the Turquoise Lake, which climb, which for me is always like, that's the spot I sort of dread more than anything. Mm-hmm. But I felt so good. I was like going so, so good. Sadly, my power meter stopped working at that mm-hmm. point. It was stuck on 240 watts, regardless if I thought I was going more or less. I wish I could see what I was doing, but I think I was 300 watts probably. Something, that's so which cool. Which, you know, for six hours or whatever it is into the yeah, race. Yeah, that's amazing. Is, yeah. Like and I, you weren't dreading that climb. You are like, you were kind of smiling. I was like time. building into yeah, it. Yeah. We were waiting at the top, but before you popped back in the woods and you were like happy and we knew you were going to make your goal unless you had some weird mechanical. Yeah. So we're like crossing our fingers like no flat tires going down Keevans. Right. And I have memories going up that turquoise rate lake road climb feeling like I'm going as hard as I can possibly go and it's like 220 watts and it's like this is all I got <laughs> and here I I know I was going quite well and yeah I saw a few along. people that looked like that yeah and then yeah made it to the top of that climb um everything was great yeah. I mean all the way back and I yeah and so I think I was in 13th position you were 13 and yeah. um, I was so happy for you I was waiting at the top of the boulevard for you you came by at 643 I was in tears because I knew you were going to make your goal it was just very exciting yeah it was really like a perfect day and that's what I've told the people that have asked me about it it's like uh I thoroughly enjoyed it from start to finish and I don't think that's very common no. so I can't expect that again probably mm-hmm. in the future um and be prepared to have not so good days or be a little more miserable like but I I literally felt like I was smiling like the entire time well you get to tuck this away as like one of those rare races where you feel amazing yeah and everything went well no mechanicals Um, right the bike was flawless the weather was great the bike worked no stomach issues everything was great yeah it really was and a big shout out to Scott USA they sent me a set of those all carbon Mm -hmm. Silverton SL wheels that were amazing they're like 200 (laughs) grams lighter than what I had before and they were lucky. amazing. The bike worked flawlessly. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just one of those, like, true peak performances. So It really was. Yeah. And the amazing thing is that Jack also had a race like that. And just the way the odds are. That for both of us, For yeah. both of you to have these amazing races. Like, oh, I got, I was waiting for Jack at the top of the boulevard. And when he went by, he looked um, like he wanted to die. And it was 6.55 with 30 seconds. 6.55.30. And I was, like, screaming like a maniac. Like, it's coming down to the seconds, Jack. You yeah, have you to got to go. go. Like, Everything you got. Because li- of how horrible would it have been across the line. And it was, like, 7 hours and 13 30 seconds, seconds or something. Right. Ah. So he had to turn himself inside out. He was, like, standing and cranking out every single watt he could do. And he made it. And, and made it. When I got to the grassy area where you b- were both collapsed with all of our group and friends, I, I, <laughs> I literally fell to my knees sobbing. Yeah, it a little was embarrassing, exciting. but um, I could have like sobbed even longer. I had to stop myself, yeah. but I was just so thrilled and relieved that nobody got hurt. Everybody had a good race, and ugh. Yeah, it was great. I I remember cheering for him at the finish. I'll line never forget me. that day. It yeah. was just incredible. Yeah, it really so. was great. So, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show and reconfirms that, like, consistency in training is mm-hmm. absolutely number one. 
building up the the training progressions um, far enough out from the race so you can then do a proper taper. Or if something doesn't go well, like with Jack's knee issues, it's okay because he he had done the work in the Mm -hmm. weeks prior. Um, And that's the big thing. So, you know, you do all those things as best that you can and it just increases the likeliness that things will come together. They may not be magical on race day like it was for me, but, you know, if you can have a really good race day, that's still really good. Right. So do you think you'll do this again next year then? I definitely want to do it again next year. I would um, think so since we're going to put together the, the Ledbull right. training group. Yeah, and it, but now it's like I've been thinking about it, It's like I don't know if I can do another <laughs> race. Like It's all downhill know. from here. Right, so I don't know. I probably won't have a time goal per se. Uh-huh. Um, but maybe more of like a placement goal is what I'm starting to think. Cause like now that I've got the monkey off my back of like a really good sub seven time, uh-huh. maybe then I can like roll the dice, risk it a little more to try to maybe stay with the front group for longer. And maybe I can get in the top 10 or something like that, you know? Um, and then if it doesn't go well and I blow up, I will have people that we're training that I can uh-huh. find and ride with. Yeah, and not right. worry about the time. And if I'm at seven and a half or eight hours, but I have fun, that's fun too. So, well, you have a whole year to think about your strategy for that that race. Um, but I'm just really proud of you. Um, great job with with everything you did, and it was an honor to support you. Yeah, and you, you and Sophia and Noel and Ethan, we had a big pit crew out there for yeah, it was for really Jack fun. and I. That was that was great. You guys are are amazing, and that is something we'll implement into our training program too. Is like you know, assisting people with, like, how do you support? Oh, I got it nailed. Yeah, you are the support queen. <laughs> well, so. I messed up so badly the first year that I I have it charted out on a piece of paper, and I spent two hours on the day before the race driving, driving from point to point to make sure I could do it. Yeah. It was actually pretty funny. So people in our training program, we can have, you can help their <laughs> support pit crew. People. Yeah, we'll have a phone call too. the support crew. Yeah, the, the support crew phone calls, right? Okay, well, I think we need to wrap this up because we literally are getting in a car in 12 minutes to drive to the Denver airport to get on a plane for the next 15 hours because we are flying to Munich, Germany with Sophia, then getting ourselves to Italy because she gets to race in the Mountain Bike World Championship uh, race on Thursday, August 26th. Yes, we had two We Devo riders get selected for cross-country world championships, juniors, uh, Mia Asseltine and and, uh, Sophia, our daughter Sophia. So um, pretty exciting. Yes, we're um, very excited. We have our bags packed and we're hoping to have time to do this podcast. I'm thrilled we got to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and we will probably do another podcast when we get back and just talk about the world championship. Yeah, we'll talk about world championships. And all that jazz. Yeah, and then we'll start thinking about 2022. So. Okay, so thanks for listening, guys, and reach out with questions and follow us on all the social media things. And what else do you want to say, Cody? That's it, really. Yeah. Okay. Well, We're back in the podcast progression this time for sure. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Um, another three months will go by before we speak right. again. Three weeks at the most, but yeah, we'll be gone for almost two, and then yeah. we'll do one when we get back um, to recap okay. World Championships. We'll talk to you guys soon. Everything we discuss on the Weight Endurance Podcast, we integrate into our annual Base Builder training program and downloadable training plans. Our Base Builder program is an annual online virtual group training program with us as your coaches, allowing you to build your best cycling-based fitness possible to prepare you for your next riding season. We also offer downloadable training plans for base building, cycling-specific strength training, and specialized race preparation for road, gravel, mountain bike racing, and everything in between. 
consider our training plan subscription service, where you gain access to all of our training plans for as little as $20 per month. This allows you to easily switch between plans to create your most complete annual training progression. Regardless of the type of cyclist you are, by becoming a part of the weight endurance training community, you're allowing us to help you become a fitter and faster cyclist.